Carlson isn't simply saying, you know, hey, Moscow has really nice architecture and it's nicer than that of Chicago or, you know, Los Angeles or Peoria. He says that regardless of what principles they're run by, he dismisses the principles of governance. These are great places to live. We think that globalists prioritize a sick, anti-human agenda. We think that they are unprincipled. But the fact of the matter is that they would, the globalists, the people I was, I was just in the midst of at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, they would agree with Carlson's remarks. They, they want to create the very world that he's talking about. They want to create a world that is reordered according to their own dictates. What was radicalizing, very shocking and very disturbing for me was the city of Moscow, where I'd never been, the biggest city in Europe, 13 million people. And it is so much nicer than any city in my country. I had no idea. My father spent a lot of time there in the 80s when he worked for the US government and barely had electricity. And now it is so much cleaner and safer and prettier aesthetically. It's architecture, it's food, it's service than any country, city in the United States that you have to, and this is not ideological. How did that happen? How did that happen? And at a certain point, I don't think the average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of leadership? And that's true, by the way, it's radicalizing for an American to go to Moscow, I didn't know that, I've learned it this week, to Singapore, to Tokyo, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. Wow. Now, those are comments that are made by Tucker Carlson at the World Governments Summit in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates uh, just, just a few days ago and just a few days after his interview of uh, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president. Now, when I question the wisdom of this statement on Twitter, Carlson fans uh, wrongly and immediately assumed I was attacking him. And uh, they were quick to say that, that he's right, uh, that New York subways are dangerous, which I don't dispute, that our inner cities are falling apart, which I don't dispute that crime is awful in Democrat-run major cities, which I don't dispute, and that our own infrastructure in the United States is old and is deteriorating rapidly, none of which I dispute. You're not a listener to Ideas Have Consequences if you think that I dislike Tucker Carlson. I most certainly do not. I have a piece out just today in The Federalist strongly defending him and the interview that he did with Putin. And let me, let me repeat a little bit of what I said in that article regarding, um, uh, not Putin, but uh, regarding Carlson. I greatly admire Carlson's courage in doing that interview. I mean, the Biden administration all but, you know, <laughs> assassinated him in order to prevent him from doing the interview. And he had no guarantees from Putin. Putin has, you know, arrested, imprisoned, and allegedly assassinated Tucker Carlson-like journalists in Russia who are ferreting out Putin's own corrupt dealings. So, you know, uh, Carlson says or does something wrong. I mean, he's conducting the interview with Putin in, <laughs> in the Kremlin. He says or does something wrong. I mean, they might Brittany Griner him there, and uh, you know we might never see or hear from him again. So I am a I'm a great fan of Tucker Carlson, and I see him as an ideological ally. We agree on worldview and so forth a lot. So I want to really be clear on that. However, I think that calling him out on these statements is important. And it's not attacking him. I'm not attacking him. It's, it's questioning the wisdom of his statements. And listen, if I knew Carlson personally, I, 
I would have texted him and said, hey, Tucker, <laughs> I don't think you meant what you said there. What is it that he said? Well, when I put these comments again online, many people you know, were ready to attack me that I didn't know what I was talking about. Well, Carlson says he'd just been in Moscow for the first time, and I've been in Moscow many times. And I dare say that I'm far better traveled than Tucker Carlson is. And, it, and it's for that reason that I question the wisdom of what he says. Now, let's listen again to what he says at the very end here, which I think is very important as it relates to this interview. Let's, let's, hear, let's hear what he says here. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. Okay, that's the part. I'm not questioning whether Moscow is a nice city. Moscow is a nice city. At least parts of it are a nice city. I'm not questioning that Dubai, where he's, you know, he's, he's, is when he makes these remarks, that it's very nice. I'm not questioning uh, whether Abu Dhabi is very nice. It's reputed to be uh, absolutely remarkable, or Tokyo, or some of the other places that he mentions. That's not what I'm disputing. Rather, there's a statement that Carlson here makes that I find rather unsettling. And I just played it for you, but let me, let me read to you these remarks. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. So Carlson isn't simply saying, you know, hey, Moscow has really nice architecture and it's nicer than that of Chicago or, you know, Los Angeles or Peoria. That's not what he says. He says that regardless of what principles they're run by, he dismisses the principles of governance. These are great places to live. Ladies and gentlemen, the fight in which we are engaged, at least the one in which I am in, engaged, is nothing if it is not about principles, if it is not about governing principles. That is what the fight is about, right? Uh, we think that globalists prioritize a sick, anti-human agenda. We think that they are unprincipled. We think the Biden administration is unprincipled. But the fact of the matter is that they would, the globalists, the people I was, I was just in the midst of at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, they would agree with Carlson's remarks. They would agree. And it's because they want a world, they, they want to create the very world that he's talking about. They want to create a world that is reordered according to their own dictates. Uh, a, a world that is cities that are, just as he says, that are clean, that are efficient, but that are governed according to their own warped principles. But it's not a world that Carlson would be allowed to live in or that I would be allowed to live in or that the posse, the, the people who follow this show, would be allowed to live in. And what he saw in Moscow, Singapore, Tokyo, and Dubai is exactly the same. It's just that it's a different group that is being excluded from society in those cases. Now, let's consider each of the cities that he's talking about. Let's start with Moscow. Now, if you go there and you visit, as I have, and travel between there and St. Petersburg, which I have, um, you will come away you know, pretty impressed. And that is because you are there presumably on vacation. You will stay in a nice hotel and you will eat at nice restaurants and You'll have a tour guide that is probably very patriotic and wants to show you all the wonderful things in those cities. It's the same when, when uh, um, someone from abroad comes to this city or I have friends you know, who come to visit my own hometown. I don't take them to the, to the bad parts of town, not because I'm trying to hide anything, but because I just assume that isn't really what they want to see. They want to see the nice parts of town. They want to go to nice restaurants. They want to see the tourist Sites. Well, it's the same for you. It's the same for me, generally speaking, 
when we go abroad. But the fact of the matter is, Moscow, which is, by the way, a part of Russia, it isn't communist anymore. It's fascist, ladies and gentlemen. They, the, the Russians know that Marxist-Leninist economics don't work. They've long since abandoned them. And they have, and by the way, Putin acknowledged, he didn't say they were fascist, but he did acknowledge they've long since abandoned those principles, at least in terms of uh, their economic policy is concerned. And they have adopted a kind of capitalism, but are harnessing it to a, um, um, a totalitarian regime. And that's fascism. That's, what fa that's the definition of fascism. They allow private property. It's just simply that the government strictly regulates um, those companies uh, according to those principles that the government itself holds dear, which are usually militaristic. They're militarized against somebody, usually a domestic population. That is Russia. And I've watched Russia change from the early 90s after the collapse of the Soviet Union, you know, when I was first there, all the way to the last time I was in Russia was in 2017. So not, not that long ago. It's since this war in Ukraine began, which began in 2014. And uh, Russia has changed massively in that period of time. I mean, the, the collapse of the, uh, the Soviet Union, the post-Soviet era, was a period of tremendous, uh, even utopian, uh, optimism. It was a period where Russians wanted to be taken seriously by the West. They wanted, they liked Westerners, Americans in particular, wanted to be liked by them, wanted to be accepted into the community of free nations. The United States didn't do that. And as I have pointed out in uh, previous podcasts and in the article that I have out today in The Federalist, we continued through NATO, which is a U.S. ally, to expand eastward until we were on Russia's very borders and you know, provoked this war. Now, if you dispute that, again, go and read my argument uh, in The Federalist, or you can listen to the, the previous podcast where I address this at some length, talking about the Tucker Carlson interview. All of that said, Moscow is governed by fascist principles. And that can seem great. Uh, it can seem efficient. It can look very clean. Uh, in many instances, people are law-abiding because they fear the government. But let me tell you, you get outside of the main city center and indeed uh, many parts of Moscow itself, and it is as bad and worse than any of the inner cities in the United States. You constantly see, and by the way, all the way back to the Soviet era, the Russians, uh, the Soviets, were proud of showing you images of the Moscow and St. Petersburg subway systems. Uh, read about how those were built. The people who died in building them. They are showcases, but they're not reflective of the entire country. And Carlson, he goes here and he dismisses the governing principles. He says, you know, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter it's about the way a guy lives. I mean, a guy doesn't care, he says, about abstract you know, policies or ideas. He cares about the way that he lives. And unfortunately, that part is true. And it's for that reason that a lot of people are willing to turn a blind eye to those people in society who are not allowed to fully participate in a given society. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I mean, Russia doesn't have civil liberties as you and I know them in the West. They just don't. This is the same president, by the way, um, who allowed the submariners in the Kursk to die because he didn't want to allow you know, Westerners to get a glimpse of his nuclear submarine. This is the same guy who in the um, Moscow theater hostage crisis where Roughly, if you, you, know, you don't know about this, you should read about this. It's, uh, it's quite interesting. But where roughly 800 theater goers were held hostage by about, I think it's about 50 Chechen um, rebels, terrorists. Uh, at that time, Russia was uh, 
was engaged in a, a war with Chechnya. It's why, it's what swept Putin to power because he was tough on the Chechen rebels. Anyway, 50 of these rebels, uh, a terrorist, they seize the Moscow theater and they hold roughly 800 theater goers hostage. Uh, you know how, how Putin handled this? He had the Spetsnaz, and if you don't know who the Spetsnaz is, if you want to compare them to our Airborne Rangers or to our Delta Force or to the Green Berets, you would be wrong. They're, they're, they're much different insofar as they're kind of a mix between those special forces uh, in the United States, uh, SEAL Team, and also the SS. There's something like that. They pumped a poison gas into that theater to knock out not just the, uh, um, the, the terrorists, but everybody, knowing that some people would probably die from the gas. Then they came in and they went around shooting the, uh, um, the Chechen rebels in the head. Roughly, I, I think it's about 120 of the theater goers, that is the hostages, were themselves killed as a result of this. The point that I'm trying to make here is Putin is ruthless. Everyone's gonna encounter pain in their life. The questions deal with the degree of one's pain and the source of one's pain and how we deal with our pain. In this course, I'm speaking very personally about my own pain and some of the lessons that I've learned in coping with pain, how we minister to people with pain and what kind of perspective are we to have on the big questions that surround pain and human suffering? Why would you take a course like this? Well, presumably, if you haven't suffered in your own life, you will encounter people who do. And undoubtedly, some of them are people who are very near and dear to you. I think it'd be very helpful for you to take a course like this in order to understand what they're experiencing and the way that you minister to people in those kinds of circumstances. So I'd love for you to take this course of mine. And I wanna tell you this, that when you subscribe to Tome, you get access not just to my course, but to more than a hundred other courses that are dealing with very practical issues and assisting you in living and in flourishing. So where can you get this course? Well, you can't get it at Amazon. You can't get it at Apple. You can't get it at Netflix. You can only get it at Tome. So I want you to go to tomeapp.com slash pain to learn more about my course. Let's get back to the podcast. Now, maybe I'm in very good company by virtue of the fact that I have Ukrainians, Ukrainian friends who won't even talk to me now because they don't like my take on their country, which is a deeply corrupt country. Prior to this war, prior to the um, politicizing of these kinds of rankings, Transparency International, which every year puts out something called the, uh, I think it's called the Global Corruption Index. You can find this online. Prior to this war, just prior, to this war, so nothing's really changed. It's probably far worse. They ranked, I, um, I believe, uh, Ukraine 134th most corrupt country in the world. Now, the way they do the ranking is a little bit odd because they go from least corrupt to most corrupt. So to put it in, in other terms, they deemed there to be 133 out of 180 that they ranked they deemed Ukraine to be, uh, for there to be 133 countries that were less corrupt than Ukraine. But Russia ranked in the 150s, in the 150s. And Russia has been a uh, you know, master and tutor to Ukraine since time immemorial. I mean, they, they taught Ukraine quite well. So I have Russians you know, who are saying I'm some sort of paid operative for Ukrainians and I have for Ukraine and I have Ukrainians saying I'm sort of some sort of paid operative um, for Russia. Not so. There are no good guys in this war, least of all the United States. We may be the most corrupt um, player 
where this war is concerned. Not as a country overall, Russia and Ukraine are both deeply, deeply corrupt political cultures and societies. That said, I should also say this, I love both of those countries. I've spent a lot of time in both of those countries. I've experienced extraordinary hospitality uh, in both of those countries. I have experienced uh, wonderful friendships in both of those countries. I've also seen and experienced extraordinary corruption, cruelty, and inhumanity in both of those countries. That should help you contextualize what I'm saying. So when Tucker Carlson comes along and he says, Moscow isn't just simply a nice place. Hey, Moscow, wow, I drove around and it was clean and you know uh, it was efficient and the, the hotel service was terrific, all of which is true, by the way. But that isn't what he says. He says that it's a better place to live. And I would say he, that he's deadly wrong. In fact, I would say that he's dangerously wrong because, again, this is the kind of world that the left, the global left, that Democrats, that globalists want to create. It's just that they, they would create it according to their own warped principles. So when... Carlson says, hey, the principles, I mean, I know we're told again. Let me read, read back to you what he says here. Just again, so you th not, I'm not taking this out of context. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. No, ladies and gentlemen, the principles by which we live matter above all. They matter above all. And democracy itself is messy, sometimes quite literally messy. I'm my own HOA is, uh, you know, arguing over, you know, how to repair roads. It takes a long time for people to agree on, <laughs> you know, the, the color of an orange. That's the nature of democracy. And at times it does seem to people that a dictatorship would be preferable. We have in scripture, a wonderful example of this where Israel is governed Directly by God. That is to say it is a theocracy, a literal theocracy governed by the Almighty. But they reject that. They say they want a king like everybody else. Samuel bemoans this, the prophet. And the Lord says to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. This is the nature of... This is the nature of human beings. We call for, we want change. We demand change because we always think that something else will be better. It's, it, it's what brought Obama uh, into the presidency. Remember that? Change. Change to what? Well, you're seeing it. Is this better? Are what we're seeing in our cities, or what we're seeing in our government, or what we are seeing in our schools, and what we're seeing in our entertainment, is it better? Obama told you what he was going to do. He's going to bring change. Change. Ladies and gentlemen, new is not necessarily improved. And before you move on to something else, it might be worth asking, what was wrong with the way we were doing it before? George Soros, what was the name of his website? change.org change.org it's easy to sell that crap especially to young people who buy into it who want change only often to discover too late that what has been lost can never be recovered principles the principles by which we are governed matter but there's moscow what about singapore apparently tucker carlson has recently been there. I've been in Singapore. Ladies and gentlemen, Singapore superficially is an extraordinary place. I mean, if he was impressed with Moscow, whoa, Singapore will blow you away. Really will. You talk about clean. You talk about efficient. You talk about service. You talk about um, beauty in architecture. And by the way, I should say this. The architecture that Tucker Carlson was so impressed with in Moscow, I will promise you that almost none of it 
was built by the Soviets, that is, post-1917. Almost all that crap, which you can find, is prefabricated concrete stuff that they built all over the communist world. You can spot it from a mile away. It is awful. It is intimidating. It is anti-human. It doesn't take into consideration human beings at all. The stuff that he was impressed with, I will guarantee you, was 90-plus percent pre-revolution. That is to say, built by the czars. That stuff is beautiful. You know, he's probably talking about uh, talking about you know the Kremlin or um, Saint Basil's or Saint Isaac's. Uh, those places are extraordinary. Not built by the Soviets. Not built in recent times. And it's worth saying that that's also true. I mean, the posse knows this. I travel a lot. I mean, I just came back from I don't know visiting four or five countries, and I, I've been thinking about. It. In fact, I think I have an article. I've written a book that addresses this very question. It's called Around the World in More Than 80 Days, Discovering What Makes America Great and Why We Must Fight to Save It. Uh, so I've, I've had reason to think very deeply on these questions, on the question that Tucker Carlson is here raising about governing principles. But I got to tell you, when you look at the cities of um, Western Europe, we are often, Americans are often very intimidated. They go to cities, you know, some of the great capitals of Europe. They go to London and Paris and Rome, and they feel small because you're standing there looking at the Colosseum or you're looking at the Hermitage in St. Petersburg or you're looking at Buckingham Palace or you know, you really want to see something impressive, go and look at Blenheim Palace just outside of Oxford, um, the, uh, the first Duke of Marlborough's um, home that was gifted to him. You look at those. Or you go to um, Paris and you see the Opera House. The Opera House is amazing. You go down the Champs-Élysées, you see the Eiffel Tower. You see all of that and you think, wow, we have nothing like this in America. These are great civilizations, only they're not. This is like this is like 10th generation living in the house that their great, 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 great grandfather built. That he was the one who was awesome. He was the one who was the visionary. He was the one who had an appreciation for beauty. Not them. He shouldn't be too impressed. Singapore is a surveillance state, and it is a surveillance state that is being copied by Western governments who admire it. You're watched everywhere there, and it seems like a wonderful place until you begin to drill down. You know, I was there not too long after I had had a, um, a very serious accident, as some of you will know about. We have the Tome course about pain why would I do? <laughs> Why would Larry Alex Daunt do a course on pain? Well, I know something about pain. Um, and I had been hit by a car, broke my back in 19 places, all my ribs, so on. I have a metal, if you see me every now and then, you know, doing things like that, it's, 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 it's uh, not always a, you know, a conscious thing. I have a metal plate in my jaw that holds my jaw together. My jaw had been broken in, in this way and shoved back and teeth knocked out and my face broken here, 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 my orbital broke in the back of my skull. Anyway, I was there, I'm not sure, maybe maybe two years after that accident, 18 months in Singapore. And uh, I was prescribed then um, pain medication, opioids, um, um, oxycodone uh, for pain. And I was reading, you know, this little card you have to fill out, you know, as you're coming in to um, an immigration card that you have to fill out as we're flying into Singapore. And it says, you know, that they give the death penalty for drug trafficking. And my immediate response to that was like, yeah, yeah, you should. And then as I began to drill down into that, um, I realized that even prescription drugs might be considered a kind of trafficking. And I tell the story in this book of how I flushed them down the airplane toilet just for fear that I come into the I come into the city and they look at my doctor prescribed pain medication 
and declare me some kind of trafficker. Uh, you read about Singapore, read about how they're a surveillance state, and read about how they do not acknowledge civil rights, civil liberties. Read about how they don't have elections. Now, this seems to work for many people in Singapore until one day that it doesn't, and you discover that you don't have any constitutional rights to which you can appeal. That matters. So when you go into the city, you go, wow, it's clean. Well, of course it is. You spit out a piece of gum in Singapore, you can be arrested and caned publicly. I think that matters, Tucker. I think that it does. He also mentions um, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Now, granted, he made these remarks in Dubai. So uh, we could give Tucker Carlson the benefit of the doubt here and say that he's simply trying to be gracious to his host. And I'm sure that that's part of it. But um, both of these cities, by the way, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, they're, they're in the United Arab Emirates. The United Arab Emirates, uh, which is deemed to be a, um, a more liberal um, Arab country, is governed according to Sharia law. If you're a homosexual there, although the law doesn't expressly state it, you can be executed. They have executed homosexuals. Um, you smoke, even in your car during Ramadan, you can be arrested. You kiss publicly, you can be arrested. There's no presumption of innocence. That, that's in the American tradition. It's very different principles by which they are governed. Are Christians free to, um, to practice uh, openly? Ringing of church bells, um, going around and um, uh, proselytizing, illegal. Now, they will tolerate Christians, sort of. But you are very definitely second-class citizens. Hitler's Germany, let's just take it for example. Now, we all think of Hitler's Germany as absolutely awful and terrible, which, of course, it was. But contemporaries didn't initially see it that way. When Hitler came to power, he was, he was hailed as Time's Man of the Year. He was a guy who was going to turn it all around for Germany in many ways that he did, economically speaking. Um, you know, um, the uh, German people were in the in the deepest hole of the Great Depression. Uh, widespread uh, unemployment, poverty, street fighting. If Hitler did nothing, he brought order to Germany. But how? How did he bring order to Germany? Well, he did it through fear. He did it through his stormtroopers, his, his brown shirts. He did it with the Gestapo. He did it with the SS. And I'm talking pre-war here. I'm talking the, um, you know, the 1930s, pre-September 1939. When American journalists went to Germany, particularly in 1936 for the Olympics, there were many American journalists who hailed Germany as a model for the West and for America because they said the same things that Tucker Carlson here said. They said, it's clean, it's efficient, it's beautiful, Hotels, oh, wow, the efficiency is like nothing you've ever experienced. The service is like nothing you've ever experienced. The architecture, oh, look at, look at everything that they're building. It's so impressive. Um, I've heard many from that era say things like the children all looked healthy and they were respectful to adults. The Germans were beautiful people. They looked healthy, strong, vigorous, better than their Western counterparts. Yeah, I guess life in Germany was pretty good so long as you weren't a Jew. So long as you didn't oppose the regime, didn't speak out. So long as you weren't a gypsy or Roma, as they call them in Europe. So long as you weren't a Christian who took your faith <laughs> seriously and thus didn't knuckle under under the regime. You see, when the principles are discarded as unimportant, and this podcast is Ideas Have Consequences, for any of you who are new to this, to this podcast, ideas have consequences. And your founding principles 
whether it's the principles of your organization, of your country, or even those upon which your family is governed. They, de they determine the whole trajectory of your company, your government, or your family. They determine it all. Those matter. Those matter. But it can feel like they don't matter if you're not any of the groups I just named and being discriminated against. And that's the way a lot of Germans felt. It's the way a lot of Italians felt under Mussolini. You know, we now have the joke, well, he made the trains run, run on time. Where does that joke come from? It, it comes from Italians and Germans who used it as a post-war um, justification for why they supported the fascist regime. Made the trains run on time. Didn't have these bread lines. Didn't have fighting in the street. Children looked clean. They were respectful. If you're not the one being discriminated against, it can feel great living in countries like that. Moscow can seem great when it's like that. Abu Dhabi, Dubai, they have gone on an all-out global blitz, an advertising campaign to get Westerners to come and spend time there. They've hired Western engineers, architects, entertainers, and others to make their cities stand apart and look spectacular, glitteringly so, to attract Western tourists, to spend money, and to try to show them the greatness of their countries. If you go there and you're not very discriminating, I suspect you will have a great time. You'll stay in a beautiful hotel. But you would be foolish, I would be foolish, to deduce from that 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 means that their basic, their core principles are the ones I want to live by because they aren't. They aren't. They're run according to Sharia. Look up what that is. I've just mentioned just a few. Look up how they deal harshly with criminals. And you may think, well, that's great. We need to do the same thing. Some of you would say that. But what if you're falsely accused? That does happen. At least according to our principle, this is changing in the West, it's changing in the United States as we are seeing you know, the trickle-down effect of corruption from the Biden administration. But our, our core principles are that you are innocent until proven guilty. I mean, what was it that Jefferson said? It's better that 10 guilty men go free than that one innocent man should be convicted of something he didn't do? That isn't the way the rest of the world operates. It isn't. Those principles matter. Let me live in a city that's a little more dirty, that's a little less efficient, where everything isn't quite as neat and tidy, but where they don't beat you to death because you left some litter on the side of the road. Where, when people fall afoul of the law, they have rights. They have rights. Where human beings, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of race, are deemed to be endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's our core principles. That's what I'm fighting for. On, on ideas have consequences. The very reason that I do a show like this is because I want people to understand the trickle-down effect of, of ideas, particularly of bad ideas. You think they don't matter, and you think that the discussions being had in you know, some academic corners of our society, that they don't matter? I promise you they do. Because they trickle down and they change the way you live and they change the way you are governed. You get the governing principles wrong and everything will be wrong. Even if your streets are clean, you'll live in fear. You will live in fear. Or maybe you won't, 
until you do. And, and what, what I mean by that is there are many people that I've known who've lived in some of these places who think it's great, think it's wonderful, defend it until they're the one who's fallen afoul of the law. They're the one that's being discriminated against. Then all of a sudden they realize maybe this isn't so wonderful after all. Americans are naive when it comes to travel. They're very naive. I was in uh, arguably the, day, the most dangerous country in the world um, some years back, Nigeria. West Africa is exceedingly dangerous, but Nigeria most of all. I mean, people from Cameroon next door to Nigeria, they don't want to go to Nigeria. People from Sierra Leone, they do not want to go to Nigeria. Nigeria is a terrifying country. Right now, if you're paying attention to the news, you know that Christians are being slaughtered in Nigeria by the Boko Haram, by the Fulani Herzman militia, both Islamic militant groups. That's what's happening there. Anyway, I wrote about this in a series for Fox News called The Forgotten Christians of Nigeria. I think, I think that's the, the title of the series. And I had a man write to me angrily and say that I'd exaggerated this. Well, his daughter, he said, had taken a bus you know, in Nigeria. Nigeria was a safe country. And my response to him was to say, Sir, just because you were able to swim across the Limpopo River and not get eaten in South Africa and not get eaten by crocodiles, it would be very foolish to deduce from that that there are no crocodiles in the Limpopo River. But see, this is the way Westerners and Americans frequently are. And part of that has to do with the fact, again, ideas, ideas have consequences. Ideas matter. It is because our societies, Western societies, even the ones that are, have long since largely abandoned um, these principles in a, in a public way, are founded on a Judeo-Christian worldview. My very first trip to Russia, I, I, um, this is in the early 90s, shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And again, I was last there just a few years ago in 2017. I was staying at a um, hotel, and I think this was in Moscow, called um, The Cosmo. I think that, that was the name of it. A huge hotel. And um, I get on an elevator, and just before the door shut, a woman, an attractive woman in a very short miniskirt and you know sequins, this type of thing. This is the middle of the day, you know, but she's dressed. She's dressed to kill, and she steps onto the elevator just as the door's closed, and she's looking me straight in the eyes. And then she looks me up and down like she wants to eat me. I'm a Southern boy, been taught a particular manner. I, I literally turned, I probably flushed, and I literally turned and faced the corner. When I got off, I was having coffee with a friend um, who's from India, and he said, why are you staying in a whorehouse? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, all of these, all of these um, women who are in the lobby, they're prostitutes. And I said, but, so like the woman who got on the elevator with me, this was when I was a, a more naive traveler, this is 30 years ago. Why don't they do something about them? And he said, no, you don't understand. This is all part of the informal economy here. The hotel feeds these women, gives them a room to conduct their business, and gets a cut of the transaction. They're all in on it. So they're here to snag Western businessmen, particularly lonely or single-looking Western businessmen, and then they take them to a room in the hotel. And the money you give them, Hotel gets part of that. You starting to get the picture? And I know there are some of you who 
have become haters of America who will say to me and send me, say stupid things on YouTube like, well, America's just like that. You're an idiot if you think that. I'm, I'm talking systemic. I'm not talking about in a few, you might find a, some hotels in America that do this in red light districts. We're talking about in, a, in the center of Moscow. And I'm talking systemic corruption from bottom to top. I don't recall ever being asked for a bribe when I went into my own courthouse. I don't recall that ever happening. I don't recall that I've ever had to pay a bribe to get my electricity or my water turned on. You'll have to pay those in Ukraine and Russia. The governing principles matter. Tucker Carlson, my point here is not to say, and again, I want to reemphasize, I love Tucker Carlson. Having listened to him for years now, I suspect that our worldviews are like this. His basic assumptions, my basic assumptions. But in this, these comments are dangerous comments, and they're the comments of an innocent abroad, to use Mark Twain's, the name of, you know, of his, uh, his very funny you know, travelogue uh, that he wrote, I think, published, or at least experienced in uh, 1869, where he traveled abroad. An innocent abroad. What does he mean by that? He means that Americans have a kind of innocence, a naivete that we, we take to the whole world and where we assume that the world thinks the way we do, that they operate according to the same principles we do. I see people make these assumptions and they will say silly things like this. Don't you just find when you travel around the world that everybody just wants to live and let live? No, no, that is not what you find. And you're silly to think that that's what the world is. It isn't that. There are people in the world who want to hurt you. Osama bin Laden, one of the basic flaws of American foreign policy has been this. The assumption that other people, other countries, want the same things that we do. When very frequently, they do not. Osama bin Laden understood America very well. There was no misunderstanding. It wasn't a case where we needed to sit down with him and say, hey, why would you fly those planes to the sides of the building? Why would you do that? We just want to live and let live. We don't wish you any harm, in which he would say, ah, oh, silly me, I didn't know that. No, ladies and gentlemen, he understood what America was, and he hated it, and he wanted to destroy it. And sometimes in this world, there are people who are like that. Sin nature is real. We are now experiencing them in America. It's as though with Obama in 2008, we elected Heath Ledger's Joker, somebody who wants to bring change, all right. He wants to burn the whole country to the ground because he's full of hate. That's what's going on. Don't make those assumptions. And fascism can seem great if you are not a victim of it, if you're not a target of it. There are some people, and this is troubling, and I end with this. There are some people who are prepared to ignore, to look the other way as their neighbors are being mistreated, are being discriminated against, or even being dragged away in the dead of night if their own quality of life remains good. There are some people who are like that. doesn't bother them because they themselves are not being discriminated against. Undoubtedly, there were many white people during slavery who thought to themselves, you know, slavery seems to me like it's kind of an evil institution, but life for me is pretty good. I mean, it's not me. I'm not being enslaved. Many Germans looked the other way and ignored and quite honestly didn't want to know what was happening to Jews. What is it that Malcolm Muggeridge, kind of a hero of mine, says? People believe lies not because they're plausibly, plausibly told, but because they want to believe them. So when people were told about the Holocaust, Germans were told about it, they didn't believe it. Why? Because they didn't think it was true? No, because they did know that it was true. But they suppressed that truth because they didn't want to know. In Stalin's Russia, 
People turned the way, other way as people were being dragged off in the dead of night. Solzhenitsyn says, you would tell yourself, that guy did something wrong. He deserves it, surely. He said, but then when they're taking you, you say to yourself, it's just a misunderstanding. Until too late, you realize there's no misunderstanding. Your guilt or innocence was irrelevant. Tucker Carlson saw Potemkin Village. Gregory Potemkin, who was one of Catherine the Great's, Catherine II, she reigned in Russia from, what was it, 1762 to 1796. Gregory Potemkin was her lover, but he was also the governor of what was called Astrakhan in the south. And she was coming through. She was coming to pay him a state visit. So Potemkin didn't want her to see the reality, the poverty, the corruption. Didn't want her to see what he'd been doing with all the money. So he built something like a Hollywood set. He dressed up the children in new clothes and people, some of them, put them out front on the streets. Her carriage came through and she's like, ah, look at the clean, healthy people. Look at the, look at the skyline. She was gone. Took it all back, took the set down. That's where we get the term, Potemkin Village. It's fake. It's something very fake. The Russians do this, and I'm sure that Tucker Carlson's itinerary was fairly closely controlled. Promise you that he stayed in a very nice hotel, went to very nice restaurants. They made sure that he saw the nice things. And there are plenty of them in Moscow. One of the most impressive, by the way, is the Bolshoi Ballet, the theater. I've been there, watched it. I don't even care about ballet, and I have to tell you, I was blown away by the skill of the prima ballerina. Wow, was she amazing. Absolutely amazing. Make sure to show you all that. And then Tucker Carlson goes to Dubai, and he says before an audience... I don't know what governor, what, what principles they're governed by. Doesn't matter. This is a great place to live. No, no, it isn't. Ladies and gentlemen, a country is more than the sum of its architecture, its cleanliness, and its efficiency. The governing principles of any country matter. This has been Ideas Have Consequences with me, Larry Alex Taunton.